0: Okay, we can just go to dinner and go home now. That was good, right? If you have your scriptures with you this morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're coming to the end of chapter 1. It's kind of a division this morning because of the inheritance language here. It it, uh, connects some big links together here at the end of this passage this morning, so... I hope to do that for you this morning. If you have your scriptures with you, I'll read through this passage one more time. We'll pray and we'll get started. And we'll eat about two o'clock. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, Paul's great motivation is their faith and love. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, so that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he is called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the workings of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he's put all things under his feet. And he has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all. And is in all. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before this text this morning, um, glorious vision of who Jesus is, the Lordship of Christ and the victory of the church. To know that my Savior, who is head over all things, is head of the church his beloved body, his bride, us, the believers that are gathered here this morning to worship his name, to not only to know that, but to know that he is at your right hand awaiting a time when all his enemies will be under his feet. Father, it may look like us from here looking up that there's not victory today, but that's total victory. Herod understood that in the first century. He was fearful of this king that had came. And rulers today will bow their knee and confess their tongue to the King of kings and Lord of lords to your glory. It is your plan and your will. It's so beautifully illustrated in the first chapter of Ephesians. Father, as we come this morning, fill your people's hearts with the truth from this scripture. Help us to understand that not only we have received an inheritance, But we are your inheritance, your people. Help us connect those things together. Go past my simple words. Use the power of your spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what does it mean to be heirs of Christ, yet to also be Christ's inheritance? You see that there in verse 18? It's language that's written throughout this first chapter. It's in verse 11, verse 14, and again here in verse 18. And it tells us, uh, in really in easy English language, that not only do we have an inheritance in Christ, he is our portion, but we are also his inheritance, God's people. What does that mean? What does that mean for us in a practical way every day? Well, the Old Testament tells us very specifically that not only the nation of Israel, but true Israel, the church, would be God's inheritance. Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, it's just ahead of the passage that we read this morning. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed their borders of peoples according to their numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted portion. The church is God's portion today, Christ's portion, Christ's inheritance. Us, beloved, us, beloved believers, what does that mean? Good night, that is big language there. Even in Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, it sounds like what we're reading here in Ephesians chapter 1. Because God decreed that before the foundation of the world he chose you in Jesus Christ so that you would be saved he sent Jesus Christ to the cross to pay for your sins and then some point in history he met you with his glorious gospel and you were saved and then you could look backwards and start to see that truth to see your inheritance and to see what kind of inheritance you shall become that's the big Blocks we need to put together this morning in scriptures, because it's so important. Do you see in Ephesians 1, it starts up here, let me start on your left and go to, my, uh, to your right, it starts up here with God's decree of salvation. This is what I'm going to do in all the world. I'm going to redeem man and creation, right? And then it just makes this U-shape into the lordship of Jesus Christ, where he's placed at the right hand of the Father, head of the church. Do you see that at the end of Ephesians And all through that, we've worked. And today, we connect this inheritance, which I feel Scripture teaches us that connects the two together. Because it's in the work that God has done in saving us that we understand our inheritance. And it's in the work that God is doing in us that we understand that we are his inheritance. Okay? Big building blocks this morning. This is going to kind of be the lead question as we finish out this chapter over the next few weeks. As we head into this end section of the first chapter of Ephesians, now this is, as you will hear forthcoming, the pinnacle of human flourishing and increasing that we've been talking about. That's been this subsection. We're talking about the increasing or human flourishing that is on this earth, that is the people that know and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and the wisdom they have and the revelation of the truth of God and what God is doing, his entire will for all the earth and all of creation, all of mankind. We get this all in chapter 1. So we see Paul begin to pray because he doesn't want the members of that new church to miss out on any of this. And this all leads us onward and upward because there's greater heights yet to be understood and greater things Paul prays for that the church would understand in this book of Ephesians. We called it Treasures So Rich, right? And then this sub-portion that we're doing today, increasing. This passage in all of chapter 1 begins with the sovereignty of God and ends with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never heard those words this morning. What is the lordship of Jesus Christ? But for the believer, the truth is found in Ephesians ones have significant impact in what it means to know God. To know his will, to know the salvation of his creation. And you have to know God rightly to know these things and to even to begin to. To worship him. There are some that are saying that they are worshiping God this morning by saying they're open to homosexuality. There are some churches this morning that even marry two men together. They're not worshiping God. They don't know who God is. Our God does not agree with those things. That's why it's so important to Paul to make this prayer so that you would know the one true God and you would worship him for who he is. Not create a God that you want, that accepts all the things that you want to do, but to worship the one true God. And I think right there at the basis of that is the beginning of the depth of our inheritance. Because it's there we let go of who we are. We let go of the struggle of the coming death of our physical body and understand that that's merely the victory of eternity, right? So this passage, all of chapter 1, begins to teach this. And you have to grab a hold of this. And to do that a little bit, we're going to put some of these big thoughts together because we... Uh, Mankind, God is saving his creation, and we as men are part of that creation, just as earth is a part of that creation. In fact, uh, uh, it was earth that Adam, or mankind, was made from. Remember that in Genesis chapter 1? In fact, Adam's name means dirt. Now, I know you guys thought that that's what my wife said my name meant, right? You're dirt, buddy, right? You act like it sometimes. Uh, Adam, which is the word man or mankind, also where we get the name Adam, 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 in the English, if you just put the feminine inflection on that noun, you get Adama, which means land or earth. And you remember in Genesis 2, God stooped over and he created, he grabbed that earth and he breathed into the nostrils of Adam and he became a living being, right? It was in that creation that God is recreating all things. Not only man is he redeeming in Christ, but he's also redeeming the creation. Jesus' resurrection is the power that this passage talks about, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. That power that brought Jesus out of the grave is also bringing us out of the grave, but it's also bringing all of creation out of the grave. Jesus would say that in John chapter 12, verses 46 and 47. He says, I've come into the world as light. Remember the beautiful theme of light in our soul? I'll get to that in just a moment so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You know, we could just leave it right there. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have the truth of God, and that's why Paul is praying for these believers to understand that truth, so that you won't be in the dark, so that you'll know God and know his will. Jesus says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words, and again the word hearing here means with understanding, and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. <laughs> Amen is right. These, so these are, I mean, you, you have to look at me and go, Pastor, what are you saying here, right? I'm saying that, I'm saying, I am saying and can only speak that which Scripture teaches. And that verse is clearly teaching Christ is resurrecting all of creation for there will not only be a new man, but there will be a new heavens and new earth. You beloved believer by faith are made new, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth that you will live on in a resurrected body someday. That is your inheritance in Christ. And these are worldview. These are major issues, right? These are worldview issues, major divisions, line of de- demarcation. It's black and white, night and day, hot and cold, mountain valley. These things are not. Uh, 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 small things in our life this is why God will separate the sheep from the goats it's about God's will and not man's will it's about who God is truly and not who I think he is as a man or who I make him into be so that my sins fit into his schema of things it's about God's will Ephesians 1 is rife with God's will And this chapter specifically addresses and supports the biblical teaching that God's will is supreme over all things and that all of his will will be accomplished. Not one part will be left out. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. No problem with pronouns there. I am. There's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, listen, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, that's a statement. It's unconditional because God is not contingent to any one thing or any one person. That's sovereignty. When we think about sovereignty, God not only can and has will and decreed all things that come to pass, but, beloved, he has the power to bring all things to pass. God's will be done, where? Where's God's will to be done? Do you remember the model prayer? Sing it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Where's God's will being done on earth today? I would suggest to you, it's in our hearts right here in this building, and in his church, right, beloved? Because out there in the world, they're standing opposed to God. They're creating a different God. They have not the knowledge of God. You see why Paul's prayer is so important? I want them to know you, to have wisdom and revelation of who you are in the work of the Holy Spirit. Where will it be done? On earth as it in heaven. On earth? Really? Think about that just momentarily. It's going to take the next several weeks to unfold that as we go through that. But I want to to be challenged by that this morning. I want you to be, as we read from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts this morning, a Berean who tests those things. It gets into their scripture because that's where the ch- Don't Google it. Read it from scripture. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's where you'll find God's will, not on Google. Also understand this sovereignty of God is at the heart of Paul's prayer. This is the connection point I want to make for you this morning, that it's in the Spirit's work first in bringing you the gospel of your salvation, the truth that saved you, and then taking you and giving you the wisdom and revelation of God, that he connects you to something much bigger. He connects you to the church to what God's doing in all the world so that you can believe that truth. He connects you to the lordship of Jesus Christ so that you can see the glorious truth that Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father and every bit of his plan is being worked out today like it was planned before the foundations of this world. You see that in Ephesians 1. It begins with God's sovereignty, as I said. It begins with sovereign election before the foundation of the world. And where does it end? Well, that is the climax we're coming to, right? It ends as Christ is Lord over his church. But it includes us along the way. It begins with sovereign election in verses 3 and 4. You see it there? Before the foundation of the world, God decreed that he would save a people for himself. His prized possession, as we read from Deuteronomy there. It makes a trip through verse 7. That's how God was going to create a people for himself, that they would be redeemed by the blood of his son who died for us some 2,000 years ago. And then he would meet us in moment in time. The Holy Spirit would come, verses 13 and 14, and teach us the truth of the gospel. And it's in hearing that gospel and our hearts being converted that we can look back and see what God's done. But in the middle there is the central verses to all of the book of Ephesians. You see them verses 9 and 10. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. A lot of people go around and say, I don't know what God wants for me. That's because they don't read their book. You heard somebody say that? Well, I'm not sure what God wants. Read your book. Read your Bible. Read it and seek for God. God's promise is, I will show myself to you. He's making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus. That is to what? Redeem man, right? Redeem creation. This is the plan for the fullness of time. Verse 10: To unite all things, all things, not just all men, but all things in him, that is Jesus. Things in where? And things where? He's uniting all things together in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. There's our inheritance again. There is us as his inheritance. We're his things on earth. (laughs) Beloved, we are his people here in this place. It begins with God. you, you, You see the connection there to the Lord's Prayer. I don't have to make that for you, right? Did you see it? It's everywhere in Scripture once you see it. It's not only in the model prayer, which we grew up. I don't know how many times my mom made me recite that when I was a little kid. I don't even remember. I was probably saying it before I remember that I remember saying it. But she made me say it all the time. And it's deep in my heart because there's great grand truths there of what God is doing. He's putting together the things in heaven and the things on earth. Beloved, that's the church. That's your inheritance. It begins with the God's election. It includes the entire plan for all of creation. And you might think to yourself, you know, what could top that great thing, right? Well, what tops that is the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's his church, his inheritance. So it begins with God's election. It includes the entire plan for all of creation. We are working in this section here. We, the church beloved, the believers of all time, and you here today, we are believing resurrected as we speak, and it is through the word. It is through the work of God in the word. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit as he reveals wisdom and knowledge about who God is, because it's when we know who God is that we can accept that wisdom, and that wisdom becomes fear or obedience to our God. And in obedience, if we're obedient to God, what does he do for us? Blesses us. That's going to get bigger. Let's keep going. So Paul prays. He says, you see it there in verses 15 and 16? And for you that are visiting here this morning, these are the verses we've gone through the last few weeks. Each step along the way is an important step in the ladder. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul was so grateful for the church at Ephesus, wasn't he? Why was he so grateful for that? Because he saw God's work. He saw the outworkings of what he was writing in Ephesians 1. Let me explain that to you just a little bit. i seen that. when I, um, This week has just been a full week for us. Not only that, but then we, then we did the parade. Oh, my gosh, right? <laughs> I can't believe we accomplished all that. We went to Lower Cape May for a football game and got up early and did the parade and walked like 18 miles while we did it, didn't we? But this week has been such a good week because I got this week uh, 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 one of the kids. I call her a kid. She's 28 years old and she's a very sweet mother, Miss Kelly. And I, she, she may be watching this morning, I don't know, but I want to lift her up because what I got this week was an invitation um, from Christ Church in Sedalia, the church that Liz and I had planted over the last couple of years. And she had put out a notification, and the notification says we're having a church meeting. And I said, well, you know, most people don't get too excited about church meetings because it's usually a brawl, right? But this, this church meeting was about something so specific, they're beginning a Sunday school for all the children they have. Not only are they beginning a Sunday school, but they're starting the first inklings of a, ch- of a church school for them. All of them, beloved, want to see that happen. So I understand Paul i seen that, and and I asked Kyle if I could talk a little bit about him this morning. I saw that in Kyle. When Kyle came to faith and we baptized Kyle, Kyle's immediate concern on his heart was for his beloved mom. He started praying for her. And I'm going to make her cry this morning, and I don't mean to. But I'm just telling you, those are the workings of God. Only he can do that. Only he can do that in people. And Paul has bended his knee and he's prayed. Don't stop there. Go on. Go on. There's so much more I want you to know. Paul was so grateful. He was so grateful for these people. And this is how I understand Paul as a church planner and a calling people out of the dark into the God's marvelous light. And, you know, the world is such a perverse, dead place. They're promoting things that ought not to be promoted. They're promoting all matters of unrighteousness and evil, abortion, transgenderism, homosexuality. Those things are all a part of the world. They're not part of God's truth. And as people who know and understand God's truth and can read it in his word, listen, if you don't believe me, just take 20 minutes and get yourself a Twitter account. But be careful. I can't be in control of the language you're going to hear on there. It removes all media bias, and you'll see people for who they truly are. It's a dark, dark place that needs God's word. So Paul saw their faith and love, and they were called out of that world. And he said, I want more for them. I don't want them to stop there. I love them so much. He goes on to verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations in the knowledge of him. Listen, let me, let me smooth that out a little bit. That you may have the power of the Holy Spirit to make you wise to what God has revealed so that you would know him more fully. Because it's in that where life takes place. True change. This is the key. This is where the torrents unleashed. And then we went into verse 18. Remember that it would enlighten the eyes of your hearts. Literally, uh, from the Greek to translate that, that that light and the truth of God would be pumped into your soul. That as the light of the truth of God and the wisdom and revelation of who he is came into the human being, the dark would go out. And not only would the dark go out, but it would give you something that you couldn't have in any other way. There would be a shield of defense around you because now you know the truth. You can't get trapped in the world's lies and drawn down into them. The things that look... Listen, uh, Spurgeon once said... He says, not knowing doctrine from heresy. Most people can do that. It's knowing what's right from what's almost right. That's why we read our book, so that we know that the almost right is still not right. This is the Spirit's work in the person. It's making you holy, it's sanctifying you and keeping the promises of God and salvation because those whom He elected, He called, and those whom He called, He justified, right? and those whom he justifies he glorifies. Those are all in the past tense in the golden chain of the book of Romans because God is doing this and remember that takes our perspective this morning guys. We tend to see it from man's position up. Right? We go, "Oh, for me to be saved, I I got to be good enough. I I Oh, I did something wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to make it now. That's not how it works. We have to see it from God's position down to us because he's sovereign over everything and he has total control. What he says goes and he says you are going to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and you can't even remove yourself from that. Right? That's God's sovereignty in that. That's why we need perspective of that and that's why we call it increasing. That is that the Holy Spirit is giving you the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God, and you pray, you hear sermons, you worship, you come together through the corporate body of the church, you read scripture and spend time with people at church, and you're getting all of that. It's increasing you in ways that nothing else can. So it's from God's perspective. It's about his will. This is what's being accomplished. He elected you before the foundation of the world. He sent his son to die for you some 2,000 years ago, and then in your own specific space and time, he sent his Holy Spirit to teach you the gospel in your heart so that it would be changed and that you could begin to understand who he is. Note, I, I don't know what you're going through specifically this morning, but I do know that each of us are dealing with something. Medical diagnoses, relationship difficulties, past sin, I don't know about you, but that one punches me in the gut once in a while, even though I know it's paid for. Maybe it's a sin you freshly committed. Maybe it's a sin that somebody sinned against you. Perhaps it's a fear of failure that you're not good enough. We all believe that at some point. We're not strong enough. Been too bad. But good news this morning, beloved, because it's God's will. It is God's will to reconcile all things in Christ, things on heaven and and things in heaven and things on earth. And because you have faith, you will persevere, I promise. He will keep you. You're not keeping yourself. It is Christ's strength that you live in. I'm absolutely sure of that. For those who have faith in the Lord, Jesus Christ, God will deliver you from all them things and bring you as he's willed and bring everything to pass for you. So how do we tie all this together, beloved? And that's what I want to do this morning. Because his inheritance... This inheritance language does this. How Paul uses this word is very key. It's connecting the sovereign plan of God in verses 3 and 4 to the final lordship of Christ in verses 21 through 23. Do you see it there? He uses the word inheritance three times. We begin in in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the... This is our obtaining, okay? This is the inheritance we receive. What is that? We've been predestined. In other words, go back up to 3 and 4. We're the ones. We're the church. We're the ones that God chose. He predetermined, and then he sent his son to die, and then he sent his spirit to work in our hearts, and we received, right? It says this very specifically. We received these gifts. Our inheritance has come to us early, And this is according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Like I said, he willed it. You couldn't stop it. He's working that in you. And then we get to verses 13 and 14. We're going to see that word again. In him also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the one that saved you, right? We hear the gospel several times, but at at some point it means something much different because the Lord's done a work in us in reconverting and converting our hearts and, and cleansing us. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, even that belief is from God. It uh, is the faith we first expressed so that we can repent of our sins. At that very moment, look what it says. We're sealed with the promise of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our what? Our inheritance until we acquire full possession of it on the day we stand with God, right? And this is all to the praise of God's glory. But we're working in verse 18. We're going to see something different here. He says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that's Paul's prayer. He prays that they would get more wisdom and truth. They would understand God, who God is, and that light would fill our souls, that you may know the hope. We worked on that last week, to which he has called you, that belief, right, that, that hope that he has given us, but that we'd also know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Do You hear that, beloved? We are his inheritance, we are his inheritance. Play with that language just a little bit in your mind. These two things are sure from these three passages is that God has given you an inheritance and God is giving you as an inheritance. Isn't that glorious? God gives you, the, God gives you as an inheritance, and I said that's the work of the spirits. He's coming to you with the word of truth, and here's the word doing the work again. Again, it's so important. Remember, I said this again this morning in Sunday school. We have the inscripturated word, this word that we're reading from, right? But we also have the living word, Jesus Christ. He's revealing God to us. He's living it, right? He's our, Somebody's pointing at their heart. He's my portion. He's my inheritance. He's in me. So it's the word doing the work in us, whether it's the word living or the word inscripturated. This means that in verse 14, 14 you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He is Your connection to that truth. And here is the possession of that inheritance. The guarantee of the work, or he is, I'm sorry. The guarantee of the work that was done on your behalf. It's your connection to understanding the sovereign will of God. As we look back in Ephesians, we can understand what God has done because that's being illuminated in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. All of this is our inheritance. To have that truth in you gives you something that the world cannot give. An assurance, a steadfastness a purpose, a potential, a work. Listen to me. God's doing a work in you. God is doing a work in you. And as that work begins, as all that work's taking place, that inheritance begins to do the work not only in you but from you. And this is where, beloved, we're going to see how we're Christ's inheritance. This is why it becomes the heart and center of God's, uh, Paul's prayer uh, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, and I'm not going to stop praying for you. I give thanks for you because I want you to go further. That, you, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. This is where the torrent of truth is unleashed, and the blessings are unleashed to, to know and to have true knowledge of God, to rightly know him and to know him truly. That's what Jesus said God is seeking. Remember that? To the woman in the well, John chapter 4, yeah, you remember. You worship what you do not know, he says to her. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Indeed, it's here now for us. The Holy Spirit indwells us, right? And it's now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. How can you know how to worship, even worship God, if he's not let loose that wisdom and revelation of who he is in you? You can't worship a God of your own making because that'll lead you to a grave of your own digging. (laughs) If you don't know the one true God from his word, you're damned. It is in God we have life. It is through what he has done we know how to worship him. And here's the tie-in, brothers and sisters. Here's the tie-in of how this inheritance ties us together in God's sovereign plan with the lordship of Christ in the church. Because God is seeking a people, a special people. When we worship in spirit and truth, the church on earth is united with the church in heaven. There's that language again. We know that. Beloved, Paul wanted these believers to know that the truth about God, because it is, the truth that they will know their true inheritance is in heaven with Christ and not in this place. It is in that truth they will attain wisdom, and that wisdom calls them to obedience, and that obedience leads to the blessings of God. It's in this prayer that Paul promotes the work of the Holy Spirit in filling the believer literally light in our soul of the wisdom and revelation of God. Listen, beloved, it's God is filling us with Christ so that we can fill the earth with the truth of Christ. Yes. That's what the church is here for, is it not? That's what we see at the end of this passage. Just let me read the verses for. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That is Christ. He's at the right hand of God. Doing what? Interceding on our behalf. Who's our? Us. The church. God's people. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's taking care, listen, beloved, he's doing the same thing I am, the same thing Paul is. He's standing in heaven right now, interceding for his church's behalf, that they would be filled and understand their calling as his inheritance, that they would be filled with his truth so that they could fill this dark, dead world with the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't believe me? Let's go to 1 Peter. I know you believe me because you believe everything I say, right? But I want you to see it in Scripture, I want you to see the words. We read the first part of the first chapter of 1 Peter this morning. Let's read just those words again while you're turning to 1 Peter. I'll read those. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. There's that resurrection power, right? Verse 4, what's it say? What are we born again to? What are we called from? To an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it's kept there in heaven waiting for us. You know, that could be heaven itself. It could be our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Unfading, perfect. It will never be diminished. Everything on this earth is diminished by sin. Everything, our physical bodies being chief among those things that is diminished. We each will lose our physical bodies. But all the things that we long for to be right are what's being diminished. But Jesus is there with our inheritance where things will never be diminished. They're imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But what are we to him? Go to the second chapter of 1 Peter. Let's begin in verse 4. I'm going to run along this morning. I'm just warning you right now. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You're chosen and precious. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, A cornerstone who is chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey what? The word. The one thing Paul wants his believers to have. They disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9 and 10, capstone of what I'm saying to you here this morning. But you are a chosen race. you see it? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies. A people for his own possession. You're the inheritance of Jesus Christ. You, the church, the believer. A people for his own possession. To be a royal priesthood a holy nation. Why is that so important? Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book in 1984. It's called The Great Evangelical Disaster. He said the Reformation not only brought forth a clear preaching of the gospel. You guys know what the Reformation is, right? The middle of the 16th century. It was the uh, middle of the 14th century whenever Gutenberg uh, invented the press, probably around 1440 to 1450. The numbers aren't exact there. But it was the invention of the printing press that sent out what? What one book has sold more copies than any other book in the world? What one book still sells more copies today than any other book of the world? What one book is above all other books? It's the Bible. It's God's word. It is what God said. And it began the Reformation. It was the light that pierced the darkness of the dark ages. It gave shape to society as a whole, Schaefer says, including government, how people viewed the world in the full spectrum of culture. In northern Europe and in the countries such as the U.S. that are extensions of northern Europe, the Reformation brought with it an enormous increase in the knowledge of the Bible which spread through every level of society. It is clear that through the Reformation many were brought to Christ and that the absolutes of the Bible became widely disseminated in the culture as a whole. The freedoms which grew out of this were tremendous and yet with forms grounded in the biblical consensus The freedoms did not lead man to chaos. I remind you, he wrote this in 1984. What he recognized is that the Reformation was the light that brought life and an end to the dark ages, as I said. It was the advent of the printing press that brought the Bible to every man's hand. When the pilgrims set foot on this shore, seeking freedom to worship God in spirit and truth, they encountered men, savages that were painted in blue, throwing sharpened sticks at each other. And just 400 years later, look at us. The Word of God brought those truths, brought those blessings. But Schaeffer goes on. But something has happened in the last 60 years. The freedom that was once founded on a biblical consensus and on a Christian belief has now become autonomous freedom, it's cut loose from all constraints. Here we have the world spirit of our age, autonomous man, setting himself up as God in defiance of the knowledge and the moral and the spiritual truth which is of God. The titanic freedoms which we once enjoyed have been cut loose from their Christian restraints and are becoming a force of destruction leading to chaos. He wrote that in 1984. And look at the last 50 years. Beloved, this is what the word of God does. It changes people. It brings about Christ's inheritance in this place. And as we fill this world, we fill them with the light of Christ. Don't turn away from your book. It can do great things in your life and great things in your family's life. And it can do great things in our culture. People will know God and know God truly. And that in that, they will know their own sin and understand who God is and repent before a holy God and accept his payment of sin in Jesus Christ. It will save their life. That is their inheritance. And in doing so, God's great power is on display in making them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people as his own possession. Beloved, the church fills this dark world with light Jesus is Lord. God's will is the same today as it was yesterday and until the Lord comes again. We are his inheritance and we fill this world with light. Gracious heavenly Father, as we come this morning, work in the hearts of your people this truth about who you are and what you're doing. These are big things we Didn't pick them apart this morning, we just wanted to give some overall understanding of the Lordship of Christ, but as we spend the next couple weeks in this passage, and we begin to drill down on what it means that Christ is Lord, and that all will bow the knee and confess the tongue that he is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, to the glory of you, Father. Help us to understand these things. Help us to understand how we are inheritance to these glorious realities in Jesus Christ. And, Father, if there be one here this morning that you're doing this work in, I just pray that as they come to an understanding truly of who you are, that you would reveal yourself as Paul prayed for that church, so too we pray for them, that we would see their faith and love, and that you would increase the knowledge and wisdom in them, in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.